On this episode of the Loud Outs Podcast, Billy and I get into Team USA's big victory in the WBC. They will be in the finals on Tuesday. We'll also talk about the fan engagement, the excitement that was going on around and has been going on around the WBC. What, if anything, can American fans learn from this? How often should the WBC be played? We also got the big Jose Altuve injury as well, what that means for the Astros. Loud Outs Podcast starts now. Welcome in another edition of the Loud Outs Podcast, CJ Nikowski and Ryan Spielborgs. And man, uh, we are excited because this WBC, we're getting closer and closer to the championship game. And if you go back and listen to some of the early podcasts from Spilly and I, we were very, very discouraged and concerned about Team USA. And all they've done is gone out and prove us wrong. However, Spilly, if you do go back and kind of listen to what we talked about, one of the things uh, that we had said was there was concerns about the starting pitching and there was a real opportunity for Team USA to slug their way uh, through this tournament. And that's what we've seen now all of a sudden over a couple of games. They had a close one uh, in there and maybe a little bit of a scare um, against Colombia. But other than that, uh, we've seen them put up a bunch of runs. They did it against Venezuela and they did it against last last night against Cuba with an absolute blowout game, 14-2 to final for them to advance Team USA to the championship of the WBC. Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, in the case of USA, I I think we were looking at an entire lineup that you knew was going to be a historically good lineup. I mean, we had players that were an MVP batting third. You had a runner-up MVP multiple times. I mean, from Mookie to Trout to Trey Turner, it's, it's one of the deepest lineups I've ever seen. I think you and I can both agree just top to bottom. But pitching was going to be an issue. We, we didn't see a Jacob deGrom. We don't see Justin Verlander. Uh, we, we don't see some of the, the top starters in Major League Baseball, but that's okay. You know, you still have guys like Adam Wainwright, um, Miles Michaelis, Lance Lynn, still like upper level players, and Merrill Kelly, but not the name recognition. And so uh, in the case of USA, watching them get to this level, I think the things that, that's, that have stood out for me, CJ, is the emotion. The emotion of the USA player, because we've lived it, we've played in Japan, we've played in in Mexico, you played in winter ball in in Dominican. Let's be honest, like the fans over there and how they engage with the players make the environments better. And so as a byproduct of not having better environments here in the States, let's call it what it is. Like there's times where you're at a, I've been at major league games, CJ. In the ninth inning where the scoreboard has to tell the fans to get up and stand on their feet. And that that shouldn't happen. Like it's down to the yeah. wire and they're like, hey, get up on your feet. You don't think the players recognize that? And so when you have a tournament where fans are on their feet from, from the very beginning. Um, and I mean, I, I was literally in Phoenix watching Mexico versus Canada. Watching Mexico versus USA. Their fans were 100% different than Team USA's fans. And when Team USA did well, yeah, they got rowdy. But it was the in-between. It was when things weren't happening that the fans for Mexico with two strikes, they were getting up. With, you know, leadoff hitter, they were clapping and singing and dancing. Post-game, there was still music. And, like, as a result of those environments, the players, they show their emotion. They're like, yeah, let's go, right? Because the fans are super engaged on it. And if people like that, if people love that, if they love the emotion of the player, then the fans have to 
give their energy towards the players as well. Cause that's mm-hmm. what we've, that's what we've lived. That's what I've seen. Yeah. Maybe too busy looking at their phones. I mean, there's a couple of things though that go into this. I think one, of course we get 162 games a year in the regular season as baseball fans. And certainly that pace would never be able to last over 162. Uh, we're also dealing with uh, some pretty unique situations for say Mexican American fans or Cuban American fans. Like we saw last night, the fact that that game was in Miami, little Cuba, not too far from the ballpark to see the Cuban team like that is once every, well now it's been six years, but once every three or four, if you're lucky, right? I mean, and even then they almost didn't advance, right? Team Cuba almost did not advance. We didn't think they were going to after being down 0-2 in pool play. And they got into that five-way tie. And because of the run differential and what the tiebreakers that were involved, they were able to advance just barely uh, over to the next round and then continued uh, to win and found themselves in this semifinal game. And so I think it's also the uniqueness of it. I'm with you 100%. And that's what we talk about so many times, every time the WBC comes up, it's the way that these fans watch the game. Right? It's yeah. one of the, I think one of the greater gifts that we get for an average baseball fan to see how Cuban baseball fans watch baseball, Dominican fans, Venezuelan fans, up and down the line, Japanese fans. Like you said, you and I have got to experience a lot of that in person. And while it's great during the regular season, this is still to another level. Right, because it's another level of nationalism. It's another level where you're trying to prove that you're the best in the world. There may be a perceived notion that America thinks they're the best. Uh, really, at everything we think that, of course. Uh, but thinking about baseball, so we're kind of sitting atop. We're also the reigning champs, and everyone's kind of coming at you, right? So I think that's part of it. When you maybe feel like you're a smaller country, obviously, like Venezuela, like Cuba, uh, thinking about Puerto Rico. I mean, these are all smaller countries, and they're all looking up at the United States. I think for a lot of different reasons. So that brings out the extra energy as well to go along with the culture and what you get uh, from the culture of those countries. And even between, say, Japan and Mexico, there's a difference. It's still energy. It's still really fun, but it's a different kind the way that it's done. There's a politeness to what goes on uh, in Japan. As you and I have experienced, the road team uh, gets a cheering section. And when their players are hitting, they're allowed to cheer. Can you imagine in Yankee Stadium that there was a reserved Boston Red Sox section and that Yankee fans were quiet why Red Sox fans sang the songs of the Red Sox hitters that they came up to the plate in Yankee Stadium. That's not going to happen. Never going to happen in our culture. Uh, things are a lot different. But I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the rarity, how we don't see these games very often. The other part of it as well, it's when we get to this stage of the WBC, it's win or go home, right? Yeah. So now you're basically getting automatic game seven with nobody at an advantage, right? It's one thing to have an elimination game, say when you're down three to one, and maybe there's some energy there. It's another thing when it's basically this is one game. This is why the NCAA tournament is so successful in basketball. The upsets that we get, I mean, it's it, it's just it's to some degree it's kind of the same, right? The Fairleigh Dickinson fan base is you know Venezuela here or whatever, just a smaller country. They're Great Britain, really, uh, kind of in this situation. The fact that they would beat anybody in the WBC is such a big deal and it breathes life into it. Uh, so I think it's part of it. We're never going to see it. I, you know, I know that people would love to see that kind of atmosphere from American fans. It's just not a reality over the regular season. Our postseasons are great. You don't think don't a cheering section would ever work? You don't think a don't, cheering section would ever work in, in Major League Baseball? In what way? What would it look like? I, I mean, like, you can have a designated section for team fans. I mean, like, you know if you go to Coors Field and you're a yeah. Giants fan that you have the, you know, when you go to Ticketmaster or whatever, however you get your ticket, there's, it offers you the, the team section. You could yeah. sit with all of your friends. You could sit and cheer for your team in a good spot. You know, I'm not, we're not putting you upper deck 
you know, at the at the very, very top of the stadium, we're putting them down the left field line in a, in a section in a place where they can they can all convene together and cheer together. And that probably makes it, would, it a little bit better. Yeah, here's why I don't think it would work. Again, using, say, a bigger example like Yankee Stadium to tell their fans, hey, you're not allowed to buy these seats in this in this section in left field because we're reserving it for Red Sox fans. I mean, it's pitchforks at the front office, right? I mean, think about some of the tougher tickets that, that they're already get and some of the better rivalries that we have. We've seen teams in various, various sports try to hold back ticket purchases from out of market from certain markets worrying about visiting fans coming in and maybe even dominating the stadium. You get it anyway from Cubs fans in certain places. You get it anyway for Dodger fans in certain cities that they go to because they don't come there very often. It's going to be interesting to watch that this year, especially now with the new schedule, knowing that, say, a team like the Dodgers is going to every city at least every other year, as opposed to once every six years, uh, once we went to the older schedule. And even then, COVID kind of threw that for a loop. Sure. Right? We, we, are, we end up not going to some of the same divisions that we went. So it's been a while. So if you're a you know a Dodger fan in Boston, it's been a while, right? And so that one time that they come there, um, now every other year it'll happen, which would be great for the game. Uh, but kind of, I think, watching those trends. But I just can't imagine the home team ever telling their fans, no, you can't sit here. You can't buy these tickets too early because we're going to hold on to them, especially for a three-game series, right? It's three games. Can you get, you know, I don't know, 2,000 fans to eat up a section um, of Dodger fans and saying you can sit with other Dodger fans um, it's going to be in right field in Boston where if, you know, listen, the Dodgers come you know, every other year. I want, if I got, if I can afford it, I want the good seats. And if I can find the good seats, I really want to go and watch the game. So while I, yes, it would be fun. I just, I don't, I don't not to rain on your fun parade, but I just, I can't imagine it working uh, because I can't imagine ever any fan base saying, sorry, fans of our team, you can't sit here. I, you know what? And I hear that. I be, but I also, I see it in college basketball. I did attend a March Madness game in Denver. I took my son to go watch UC Santa Barbara uh, take on Baylor. UCSB was up two points and then they lost by 18. <laughs> so the second half, I said, welcome to Gaucho fandom, buddy. Uh, it was nice to be able to sit in a section with UCSB. Oh, yeah. uh, it was nice to see that you could have Baylor, but I get it. It's a national tournament. Even if when I go to Omaha for for the College World Series, they have sections for team supporters to sit in and it makes that experience really nice. It's nice to spend time where you could cheer and you turn around and you're high fiving people wearing the same colors. It's nice. I don't know yeah. how you maybe you do have. I, yeah, you're right, though. You're right. You're right. I mean, like if you said, hey, it's Dodgers night at Coors Field and we have a section reserved for you. <laughs> I mean, like they're going like, who, who are you placating to Dick Monfort? Yeah. So I get it. I mean, you're right, but it is a better experience. And and I think bringing it back full circle is I know when I've seen the players, how they're jumping on the fields after the emotions, you know, a lot of like chest pounding and like fist flying. I never saw it as, you know, we, we used to look at it poorly, right? Like we used yeah. to look at, oh, they're showing somebody up. I heard JT Real Muto say it yesterday in an interview. There's a fine line between, you know, supporting, firing up your team and showing up the other team and something as an American player, not to, you know, there are differences and that's okay. But yeah. the American guys are like, we need to match this intensity. We need to share this emotion because it, it makes them feel better. And I think at the end of this tournament, maybe you'll see a, a more animated Mike Trout or more animated GT Real Muto or a more animated Trey Turner 
were more animated, uh, you know, Nolan, well, Nolan's always been animated, Paul Goldschmidt, right? And maybe some of these guys bring this to their team, Bobby Witt Jr., where, I like, did you find enjoyment in seeing how these players are celebrating or no? Or is it too much? Or was it just... I, it doesn't, I, don't, I don't feel one way or the other. Like, I just like watching a quality game, watching the games and getting into the strategy and what's going on on the field. Celebration part, one way or another, doesn't matter to me. It doesn't take away or add to the excitement as much. I mean, it's always nice to know that your guys care. Uh, and when we get to a bad part of the season and your team is out of it and they look flat and they're playing emotionless, that's not fun either um, to watch. But yeah, in the biggest moments, you know, uh, on a on a Wednesday night in June when the Angels are visiting the Reds and Mike Trout hits a grand slam in the fourth inning. I mean, there'll be some excitement, but is it going to be that same level? No chance. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I'm OK with it. Whatever works for him. What right? about I mean, players on the field? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I told my wife that when during the Venezuela game, we're watching it, right? And you see, you know, a base hit and guys are coming around third base and 15 guys are out on the field waving them in. That's just, you're not going to see that on the American side. It's not who they are, right? And that's okay. Cultures are different. That's what makes them um, so unique and so fun. And, and and we enjoy talking about them. Going back to that game against Venezuela, I think is a is a great example. And Quijada uh, getting the strikeout on what was probably ball four, pitch at the top of the zone. But there was consistency at the top of the strike zone. His reaction was something else. I mean, it was, you know, I'm going to say over the top, whatever. To each your own. You're feeling it. You feel like the entire country is watching you and counting on you in a moment. It came back to bite him, right? The emotion, I think, carried over into the next thing because that's the other side of it, right? When you have that big of an emotional moment and you're finishing off an inning using the pitcher as an example in this spot, and then you go sit down for a little bit, and then you go back out there, and you got to be able to get it back up. That's a pretty high high, and you have to be careful about trying to maintain that energy and not just completely uh, wiping you out. Then he struggled when he went back out there. And I told my wife as we're watching, you know, sitting there watching this game and watching, uh, was it Brocko that came in, uh, yeah. the right-hander, and he overthrew his first two pitches. And you know, everyone will talk about, hey, it was 0-2, it was 0-2. You go back and watch that at bat, he missed location twice. And so for me, he was he was too quick, right? He missed up and in, but he missed up and in for strikes. And so now it's 0-2 and the emotion of the moment. And, and again, trying to figure out how do you best show the emotion, let that emotion fuel you, fuel you, but don't let it take over. And I said, if he doesn't, you know, what's going to happen is going to be a, a, an attempt at an overcorrection and potentially an undercorrection. And he threw an 0-2 pitch right down the middle. Yeah. Right? He could not get that ball away, which he was trying to do throughout that entire at-bat and couldn't get it off the plate. And, you know, he's a guy who let up a lot of home runs in his in his big league career. If you look at the numbers, I mean, everything was set for a mistake to happen. And sure enough, I mean, right down the middle, 0-2, that's an example where if you can't control the emotion and can't get your mechanics right now, it's a tough spot to come into, right? No two ways about it. You got bases yeah, loaded, bases loaded nobody out. Yelling. There's a lot going on there. And we talk about the mental game and how important it is. So that's why the ability to also stay calm is really important. He was unable to do that in the moment. Now, after the home run, he settled down, looked pretty good and got out of it. Um, and did a nice job, but when he needed to most, he could not control the emotion. So while it's fun to see, and I know we enjoy seeing it, I think some of the silly takes we see, we don't you know, give them a lot of time. It's like, oh, American baseball needs to be like this. People need to be who they are, right? You can't tell people how to feel. You can't tell people how to react in any situation, sports or otherwise. And so while it's fun, what makes it fun is how limited we actually do this thing, country against country, and then getting into elimination. Again, put yourself as an, in, the, in the seat of a Mexican-American. Right. Or a Cuban American. I mean, Cuban American, especially so much extra emotion that comes along uh, with Cuba and all the struggles of that country for those that are Cuban Americans now and watching their team and the pride they have in their country, but also no proud question. to be Americans like that is what takes that to another level. Yeah. And you get the emotions that you got last night. We're just lucky as American fans and players to to get to witness it 
and then they get to feed off of it, right? That's the other part of it is that, wow, we get to see this. This is cool. Wouldn't this be fun all the time? We'd be exhausted as fans if we did that 162 times a year. So I think we just take it for what it's worth, enjoy it, and not necessarily set expectations of saying, oh, American baseball needs to change. American fans need to change. I I wouldn't agree with that because it's not a reality. I I think there's things that they could do a little bit better, but you're you're right. I understand that, Uh, and I'm fine with that. I guess the, the last little WBC part is we've seen some injuries. Uh, you know, the Edwin Diaz one was really unfortunate. It came in a celebration. Of course, Brandon Nimmo slides into second. He gets banged up too in a spring training game. Uh, you know, there's plenty of spring training injuries. I saw one. Brendan Rogers is out for the season, diving for a ball in a spring training game. So, you know, the tired takes of, you know, canceled the tournament now remains tired. However, watching Altuve get hit in the thumb and knowing that Altuve's out for However long, because he hasn't had surgery yet. I saw Moncada suffer a concussion. I saw Nolan get hit by a pitch. It's you're at, you're at that place where this emotion and what this tournament has brought is eyeballs. There's there's been more eyeballs for this tournament than World Series games. You can't dispute it. You can't dispute the the amount of people that are watching on YouTube. The YouTube videos of Trey Turner's home runs has like 7 million views. You cannot dispute that this tournament has brought attention to baseball. Good yeah. attention. But when you do see players getting injured and really important players for teams, the question really is, it's not about canceling the tournament. It's more risk reward. Is the reward of this tournament with the eyeballs and everything that we've seen, it's been really awesome. Is it worth the risk? Is it worth the potential of a player that could get hurt in spring training? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to ratchet it up in March? And yeah, I I would say, yeah, we don't know because we don't, we don't have a way of measuring it outside of television ratings and finances that, you know, major league baseball and the WBC and all the federations are raking in because of it. Sure. They can look at that and say, this is really successful. Growing the game is, I think, a difficult thing to really put a number on. And it's also going to take decades, right? Especially for some of the smaller countries to really see, right? I don't doubt that there are people um, that love this game or maybe getting, uh, I should say, more of the new audience and people who didn't love the game or didn't know the game well and seeing their country. That's the great news about it expanding to 20 teams, getting more countries involved. And what does that do maybe to younger players who don't know the sport as well that become interested in the sport? Are they future major leaguers down the line or even minor leaguers for that matter? Or are they just growing the game at the amateur level? So I don't know how we ultimately measure that. I mean, even looking at TV ratings this year, it's going to be difficult to say because there's a lot going on in the game. But the pitch clock is going to help, I think, a ton. And it might even help with attendance, right? So from that standpoint of getting more eyeballs on our game, and sitting here saying, well, we're coming off a WBC year and we saw a 10% jump in ratings or attendance, which I'm sure Major League Baseball would be thrilled to see that kind of number. We're not going to really know how to be able to credit that properly. We just, we just don't know. But you know, the risk versus reward is tough. And if you remember earlier in this WBC, Hector Neris, a teammate of Jose Altuve, almost hit him twice up near the face. If He got two fastballs, got away from him. Obviously, completely unintentional. But again, the emotion of the moment, and it could have been even worse. Now, it's bad, of course, that he has this fracture and it sounds like maybe a couple of months. We don't know for sure. And it's a huge loss. And for Dana Brown and for Dusty Baker, without ever saying it publicly, they're probably furious 
that this has happened. The question becomes, what do you do going forward? Risk versus reward is probably not going to change. You know, Adam Rain, uh, Wainwright yesterday, who pitched brilliantly, did a nice job against Cuba, even said, he's like, I, you know, I keep wanting to tell guys, you want to experience this. You want to do this at least once, and which I can appreciate, and it's great. But then the flip side of that is Edwin Diaz, Jose Altuve, right? Injuries, Joan Mancada, as you mentioned. That's the downside of playing games that while they're amazing and they're awesome, and we get guys, a lot of them in their primes competing and contending for their country, there is risk involved. And I don't know if we're going to see something change. Are we going to see something in contracts, right? If I go sign a guy uh, for a monster deal and I invest a couple hundred million dollars in the player, would I like an assurance that he's not going to play in the WBC? Would a team take that chance oh, uh, and potentially losing out on a player because of it? Right? Would you give Juan Soto $450 million right now, but you got to promise me in the contract that you're not going to participate in the WBC? I don't think he least... signs with you. I think it means that much to him. I mean, but yeah. CJ, I mean, players do get insurance policies. That's why Clayton Kershaw wasn't able to compete in WBC. They couldn't give him an insurance policy. It's why Jose Ramirez was ruled out was because he couldn't get an insurance policy with with his wrist uh, that he had surgery on after the season was over. It's why Steve Cohen was able to get uh, recoup the, the the loss of Edwin Diaz was because there was an insurance policy. So there's there are safety measures in play for an organization. But to your point, it's not about recouping the finances. Yeah, it's about having the player. Like I rather have Edwin Diaz for the course of this year. But again, it comes back to you could get injured anywhere. You could get injured. Uh, I think Tony Gonsolin rolled his ankle walking out of his house. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what are you going to do? Bubble wrap people? So yeah. you, you can't. But I understand what you're saying. It's You can't get hurt. But when you are talking about intense level of competition in the middle of March, that's not for your organization in a place where you're collecting a paycheck. That's where it becomes more difficult to swallow. Yeah, of course, guys can get hurt anywhere. It happens all the time. But there's also extra precautions taken, and there are some taken in the WBC, but especially during, say, spring training and getting ready for the season. Injuries are injuries. They're unavoidable. But there's just something. It just has to sting more uh, when it doesn't happen under your watch, right? Yep. And sitting yep. here watching you know, Jose Altuve and wondering, what does that do to their chances? They're down Jose Altuve here for a little while. They're down Lance McCullers Jr. for a little while. This is a, still a really good team. Uh, it's a deeper division probably than it has been in a few years. And if the Astros were to lose the division this year, I, don't, I mean, how many fans, even Venezuelan Astro fans, would tell you that it's worth it? How many, that, I mean, to me, that's the one, right? Give me the Venezuelan Astro fan. Give me the Puerto Rican Met fan, right, who loves their country, loves the WBC. And if both of those teams end up missing the postseason because they were missing key pieces, at the end of the year, you're going to go, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it because, yeah, I love the Mets, but it was a great run at the WBC, even though we didn't win at all. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I'd be curious. To hear from you know those fans in particular, uh, both country and your team, and and because to me that those are the ones that that matter a pretty good amount uh, in this situation. That is, I mean, it is a crazy kind of thought process, right? Is is really surveying those fan bases. We've heard from the players. Trey Turner said that's one of the greatest moments of his life. Mike Trout, when he hit up hit the home run uh, against Canada, said that was one of the greatest moments of his life. Randy Rosarena made a catch. Uh, against yeah. uh, Venezuela that said was the greatest play he's ever made. And he has 11 postseason homers, including including homers in the World Series. So, uh, again, like this WBC, it, it, it's really kind of opening up an entire can of worms. It really is. It, it's opening up a can of worms as far as how we 
look at fandom, how we look at what type of exhibition games mean the most to players. And for the viewership, for the players' response, and for the fan engagement, the fact that every single game in Miami has been sold out, this WBC really has kind of nailed it. They have, they've kind of nailed it. They nailed. If you do this every year. Do you think that would wane? Yes. It's been six years. Yes. I mean, that's part of it. And yes. I love the excitement. We love it. And I got to tell you, obviously, like I love America. When I'm home doing the show, you see the big American flag behind me. But there's something about these other teams that I get excited for them. These other countries, especially not as much Japan, you know, haven't played there. Like they're, they're kind of a powerhouse and they have stars. And if they're able to get past Mexico, um, we ended up probably with two of the better teams outside of the Dominican uh, in the finals. But there's something about especially the Latin American countries because they're underdogs. Right. And even though, yeah, we want, and we, I feel like we have the best players and they probably get some pushback on that. But because what do we see? We, what we don't see with Team USA compared to all these other countries is the rando that pops up out of nowhere. Right. The guy that hasn't played professionally in three or four years, especially in the early rounds. I love those stinking stories so much, man. Right. Cause you're sitting there and the guys and you, you told, telling the stories all about the guy that was in IT or software. Yeah. Or Daniel Cooper. Daniel yeah. Cooper with, uh, he has a startup that's gonna, about to be sold and he was, Throwing baseballs into a net after he's working nine to five. I, I can't help but root for those stories a little bit, right? And even some of the you know bigger countries like Canada, some of the players we talked about, Adam Lowen and that story there, and, and yeah. John Axford. So uh, while we'll end up very likely, we'll see what happens with Team Mexico. I mean, they've been certainly on a really nice run, but I think we all want to see Japan and the United States at this point. It's not a knock on Mexico, which I found myself rooting for a lot of the Latin American countries throughout this, but it's the idea of Shohei Otani coming out of the bullpen potentially facing Mike Trout. That's the moment. You want to talk about the Trey Turner home run. If those two guys face each other in the final somewhere, I can't imagine that doesn't smash any kind of viewership record from television, especially if it's a big moment late uh, to internet views, whatever it may be. Something big happens between those two guys. That, to me, I mean, it doesn't make worth Jose Altuve breaking his thumb or no. Edwin Diaz blowing out his knee. However, that would be peak WBC. And you may not ever be able to repeat something like that again. Um, but that's the moment we're kind of, for me at least, that I'm banking on and, and sitting on and watching right now. Give me Shohei Otani coming out to try to close this thing out for Japan uh, with runners at second and third up by two and Mike Trout hitting. Oh, Inject my that. Gosh. I don't like this phrase, but inject that in my veins all day long. <laughs> I don't even think you'd be able to ever drink another sip of coffee ever again. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you, you brought up something interesting. If, if you were to do this WBC tournament every single year, would it have a market? I, I believe it would. Would would more players compete in it? Probably. Would it ratchet down a little bit? Would some of the emotion of it come down a little bit? Yeah, I bet it would. It would start to get a little bit saturated. Uh, I think in this year's case, it felt a little bit more unique because we have waited for it for quite some time. But it does present. I mean, if it's making this amount of money, you know how people are with money. Oh. If it makes this amount of money. We might as well do it more often. Oh, see, I just, and I'm with you and I understand and I agree with the sentiment. I hate the idea. If anything, make it more special. Like you and I talked about this, I think last time or two pods ago, should we go to uh, something like every three minimum, every two? Now you make it every five and you're, you're guaranteeing that it's going to be amazing by going every five. So I don't know, settle in there somewhere. Hopefully the game doesn't get greedy and say, this is so successful. Let's do it more often so that we can make more money. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, again, I'm American. I'm a capitalist. I love the idea. However, 
Um, I don't. I, I also like the idea of trying to make this thing a little bit more special. So I guess we'll see. And maybe we go back to just every three years and there's no changes that really happen. I know this. We crushed the Olympics. The Olympics blew it. And even if the Olympics with baseball, it'll never be this good. Certainly not for the Americans. It still matters, Japan, Korea, and other places. Um, but they got this right. And by kind of relaxing some of those rules, too. Right, the citizenship rules essentially, like, and with Team Israel especially, is always a great story. I brought that one up. You just have to be eligible for citizenship in, in Israel to be able to play for Team Israel, and to be eligible, you just have to have a grandparent that's Jewish, right? I mean, so it's a, it's a different kind of feel, and it's great for an emerging company, but all these uh, excuse me, country, but all these different kind of rules that we have seen uh, kind of come into place, and uh, it's just better. It's just better. It's never going to happen. The Olympics kind of blew it. Now there was times I remember when the IOC and they canceled the Olympics. I canceled baseball in the Olympics. I said, well, the best players aren't here. And that's accurate. And so it's a little bit different than what we do. And they've nailed this thing. The WBC has been amazing. Let's just hope nobody gets hurt the rest of the way. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, also crazy that this was episode number eight for us on our The Ocho. A lot of talk about the Ocho around the pod world. Anyway, great stuff as always, man. You and I, now, no radio together all week long. I just got the spring training. Uh, thus the, uh, the little, uh, little apartment I'm in right now. And then off we go. I uh, cannot wait tonight. Uh, I get to call my finally get to call my first game on television. Get a feel for this pitch clock. Uh, but it you feels good. Potting. Hey, I, I, I did it this weekend. I was a sideline reporter. Uh, so like I was curious to see how sideline reporters are getting in and getting out. Yeah. Very enjoyable. But the sideline reporter is going to have to have some feel for the game. Yeah. You, yeah. You're going to have to call out what's going on or the play by play is going to have to relinquish play by play for uh, a sideline hit. It, but it was two hours and 36 minutes. The game that we saw had 17 runs scored, six pitching changes, and Thanks. it was very enjoyable. Fast pace. It was awesome. 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 I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob DeGrom yesterday for the Rangers. That was a 2-1 final. He looked really good, by the way, in his first A game. We're all very excited here. Two hours and 14 minutes um, for that game. I think, Spilly, and this is something we'll, we'll certainly talk about as it goes on during the year. Whether it's the color guy, whether it's a sideline reporter, you're going to take some more chances. You're going to take some more chances over a pitch, hope that nothing happens. If something does happen, then while you're reporting or breaking something down, then you have to make a decision. Is this a nothing play? Because if it's a nothing play, keep going, I think. Analyst, sideline reporter, if it's a nothing play and you're watching on television, your play-by-play guy does not have to say there's a routine ground ball to short. Everybody can see it. I understand that we've had this conversation and people have called in the show before. Well, sometimes I'm not watching the game that closely. I get it, but it's still television. And so you take that chance once in a while, or you just talk about it yourself, sideline reporter or analyst, ground ball to short two outs, and then you keep going to keep the momentum. Otherwise, it's going to start. I think it's going to feel, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know, a little rigid, you know, a little stop and start. We'll see. I'll find out today until Dave Raymond tells me to shut up because he needs to call the action, which is very likely. It happens a lot during the year. He doesn't say it out loud. He just looks over and gives me the old finger over the lips. All right, listen, great episode. Uh, really enjoyed it, Spilly. This has been a lot of fun. At some point, we're actually going to have to stop talking about the WBC and talking about Major League Baseball. And we look forward to that as well. We'll take all that WBC momentum and bring it over for the regular season. Have a great day, everybody. Serious XM Podcasts.